Hey, Abundant Life family. Sorry we couldn't be with you this morning. Some of you may know Mary was diagnosed with COVID, so she we found out through a home test Wednesday evening that she is positive with that, which is just a bummer for us. This is the second year we had to miss Thanksgiving with both sides of our family. And so it's been a difficult uh, several days here, and so we're trying to make the most of it. Um, I, we're starting a new sermon series this morning to, to, for our Christmas season at our church, which is titled Hope Has a Name. And I think this sermon series is much needed uh, for such a time as this. I know I am in need of some hope. Uh, my guess is that you are too with everything that's gone on in the world in the last year, year and a half. We can use some hope. And I believe we find tremendous hope in the Christmas story. Today we're going to be focused on the story of Zacharias and Elizabeth. And so we're going to look at the story through the lens of hope. We're going to see what truths are embedded within the story that we need to grab a hold of if we are going to have lives that are hopeful. And we're also going to look at what we can do to maintain hope in our lives and because I think there are some truths about that in the story as well. So let me read the passage to you this morning and then we'll dive right in. I'm reading from Luke 1 verses 5 through 23. There was in the days of Herod the king of Judea a certain priest named Zacharias of the division of Abijah. His, wi his wife was of the daughters of Aaron and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord blameless. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both well advanced in years. So it was that while he was serving as priest before God in the order of his division, according to the custom of the priesthood, his lot fell to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. And the whole multitude of the people was praying outside at the hour of incense. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zacharias saw him, he was troubled, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your prayer is heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. He will also be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. He will also go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children in the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And Zacharias said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is well advanced in years. And the angel answered and said to him, I am Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God and was sent to speak to you and bring you these glad tidings. But behold, you will be mute and not able to speak until the day these things take place because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their own time. And the people waited for Zacharias and marveled that he lingered so long in the temple. 
But when he came out, he could not speak to them. And they perceived that he had seen a vision in the temple, for he beckoned to them and remained speechless. So it was, as soon as the days of his service were completed, that he departed to his own house. All right, so to get the most out of this passage, I think we need to understand a bit of the historical context. So first, um, the context for Zacharias and Elizabeth was a very difficult political time for them. Um, so you need to know that it was difficult for them politically. It was also really difficult for them personally as well. So first politically, uh, many of you know at this time, Rome was the world superpower and Zacharias and Elizabeth, they were under the rule of the Romans and the Romans taxed the Jewish people very heavily. And so <laughs> Zacharias and Elizabeth who were Jewish, the rest of their Jewish uh, people were not big fans of the Romans uh, for that reason. Also, you need to know that um, under the rule of the Romans, the Jewish people no longer had their own independent nation that was being ruled by God like in the years past. And so they longed for that and they longed for Israel to be a nation again. Um, so there was that longing there. You need to also know that the Romans set up a guy named Herod to rule the place, the, that part of the empire where Zacharias and Elizabeth lived. And he was a narcissistic ego maniac. Herod was a crazy man. His, he ruled it in a brutal way. Um, the, the historians tell us that he had his, uh, his wife murdered, his wife's mother killed, his three sons killed because he believed they were a threat to his throne. So he was, he was, uh, he was, he was a piece of work. And he also really taxed the Jewish people of his area to complete his big building campaigns to make a name for himself. Um, you also need to know that he controlled the Jewish temple, which was the the most important place on earth was the Jewish temple for the Jewish people because it was there where God's personal presence dwelt among them. And so he controlled the temple, Herod did, and, and, the, and the high priest, he controlled the high priest. And so uh, these are all reasons why <laughs> Zacharias and Elizabeth would not have been a big fan of Herod. And so it was this really difficult political context for, for, these, for this, this couple. And then you also need to know that they were going through a lot of difficulty in their personal life. As our scripture passage tells us, they were struggling with infertility. And if anybody's dealt with that, you know just how difficult and gut-wrenching uh, dealing with that issue is. Um, Shirley Zacharias and Elizabeth had hoped for years to become pregnant and probably just disappointment after disappointment after disappointment. And you can just imagine when they had friends that were able to get pregnant, um, just how difficult it probably was for them to hear about, even though they were supposed to be happy for their friends. Um, you can also imagine too, as they saw parents who had kids that they really didn't take, take 
good care of. You can imagine Zacharias and Elizabeth probably thinking like, man, they were able to have kids and we're not, and we would be so much better parents, right? And so there was just a, this was a really tough time for Zacharias and Elizabeth. Um, they probably were low on hope. And they're in a context that is probably more difficult than what, for many of us, this, this context right now in 2021 is. You also need to know with this infertility thing, um, if a woman was unable to bear a child um, in that day, they were considered a disgrace. And in fact, the word that is used in our passage is reproach. Um, that's uh, the word that is used, and that word sometimes is translated, that Greek word is some tra sometimes translated, mock, insult, revile. And so it was highly likely that Elizabeth would have experienced abusive, uh, critical language towards her because she was unable to have a child. And therefore, she would have been considered not very um, not very valuable. Um, her worth would have been much less than any other woman who was able to uh, bear, bear children. And so it's just a really difficult time. And so what can we learn from this passage about hope? I think there are several truths that we can learn. And I think there's probably about four or five things that we can do to lean into hope um, from our in doing our part from our standpoint. So the big idea though is this, what you set your mind on determines your level of hope. Here's the first truth that I want to point out to you. If you are in a tough spot right now, and if you need hope, and I was telling Mary uh, just a couple days ago that um, I, I think I'm naturally an optimistic person, but in the last six months or so, I have become more pessimistic probably than ever before. And this is not good. And I think my pessimism, my pessimism has been derived from looking at, uh, of course, what's going on with this pandemic, what's going on in our nation politically and the division that is there. What's even happened in the American church? Um, there's a lot of sadness there in the past year, year and a half. Um, most churches in America just read an article are operating. I, th I think it was the percentage of attendance. It's like 30 to 60% of the attendance that they were at pre pandemic. And so many churches are about half as full as they used to be. And that trend doesn't seem to be slowing down that downward trend of, of church attendance. And so um, in the last six months, I found myself just being like, the, the world is such a mess and there's, there's so many layers to it. It just seems impossible. It seems overwhelming. And I don't know if I'll really see many positive changes in my lifetime. Like I've, I've had those thoughts, right? This is why we need uh, to know that what you set your mind on determines your level of hope. And you need to know if you're struggling with hope like me, this first point, you are not alone. 
even the godly Zacharias and Elizabeth, if you look in the passage where, that I read to you, um, they were righteous in not just man's sight, but God's sight. These were, this was a godly couple and they were advanced in years. Um, uh, Zacharias was a priest. He would have known the scriptures. He would have been a powerful leader in his community. He would have taught people the scriptures and even they struggled with hope. If they can struggle with hope, I can struggle with hope. You can struggle with hope as well. Um, what's more is that many great, great saints, great Christians over the centuries have struggled with hope. And, and the wonderful part is God didn't abandon them because they struggled in that way, or if they struggled with doubt, and if they struggled to see God's goodness in their current circumstances. Um, God is not going to reject you if you are struggling with hope right now. Um, think about Abraham and Sarah. They struggle with infertility. They struggle with doubt. God didn't abandon them. Think about David. He battled deep despair. I think of Elijah who was discouraged, wearied, weary, and afraid. God didn't abandon David or Elijah. I think of Jonah who actually said to the Lord, take away my life for it is better for me to die than to live. How about Job who said, why did I not perish at birth and die as I came from the womb? Or how about the prophet Jeremiah who said, curse be the day I was born. Why did I ever come out of the womb to see trouble and sorrow and to end my days in shame? God didn't disown all these great ones of our faith. He's not going to disown you if you're struggling with hope. You are not alone. Secondly, you need to know that God hears you in your hopeless state. He hears you when you call. I'm sure Zacharias and Elizabeth, they probably had prayed for years that they would have a child. And I'm sure that there were many times where they felt that their prayers were just bouncing off the ceiling right back at them. But we see in this passage in verse 13 that God did indeed, he heard their prayers and he makes it known to Zacharias. God is listening even when you feel like he's not. He is listening and he hears you. Third truth I want you to grab a hold of is this. God works on a much larger scale than we can imagine. Little did Zacharias and Elizabeth know that with their probably maybe their greatest life disappointment, infertility, in the midst of that, God was working through that circumstance for the salvation of the world. God is always doing more than we even know in our suffering. Story after story in the Bible demonstrates this. And many times we don't see God's overall purposes, you know, for, you know, we don't get to see his handiwork and the tapestry he's weaving as we suffer and go through difficult things. And we don't know the larger work that he's up to through our circumstances. Sometimes, however, he does let us in on it. Sometimes it's after we're through the valley um, that he lets us see this is what he was really up to. But a lot of times he doesn't. But we have seen enough of him working in difficult circumstances in the Bible, and I'm sure in your own life and in my life, that I can trust him when I don't see the big picture thing that he's working on in the midst of my difficulty. 
Um, this makes me think of a D.A. Carson quote. He writes this, In any suffering, or in any other event for that matter, God is doubtless doing many things, perhaps thousands of things, millions of things, even if we can only detect two or three or a handful. A godly woman in her middle years is diagnosed with stage four breast cancer. What is God doing? My little brain can imagine several possibilities. At one level, he may be providentially allowing the affluence of the fall to take their course. A constant reminder that it is appointed to all of us to die and then face judgment. He may be preparing her for eternity. It is a great grace to know when you are going to die and prepare for it. He may be shocking her 20-something son who is living his life indifferent to the gospel to prod him into self-examination and repentance. He may use her testimony about the joy of the Lord even in the midst of suffering to call another of her children into vocational ministry. He may be using her as a way to teach people in her church what it looks like to die well, anticipating several other deaths in the next two years. He may be teaching her minister husband to slow down and care about his family and in principle other people instead of being endlessly busy with the ministry. He may be sparing her from living long enough to witness the moral destruction of her daughter. Her funeral may be the means by which several of her unconverted relatives for whom she has been praying will come to faith, conversions for which she would happily give her life. Perhaps one of those converts will become a Christian pastor of rare gift whose ministry of proclamation will touch thousands. Perhaps she is hiding some deep bitterness and hate in her life and God is using this means to confront her. I barely started the list of the possible things God may be doing and I have a small brain. What does the omniscient God think he is doing? In other words, sometimes we have to cover our mouths and confess in faith that we cannot possibly grasp all that God is doing when someone suffers. So why should we think in antithetical terms about how God must be doing this, but not that, when in reality he may be doing this and that and that and that and that? But he is trustworthy, we know that, for he sent his son to suffer on our behalf. So, you are not alone. God hears you. God works on a much larger scale than we can imagine. Number four, God is leveraging your current difficulty to grow your faith. Part of why God is allowing you to go through what you're going through um, or causing you to go through what you're going through is because he wants to create a giant-sized faith in you that will be unshakable in future difficulty. The entire process that Zacharias and Elizabeth went through, which included hope, disappointment, I'm sure then a return to hope, more disappointment, till we get to the passage today, that whole journey, I am sure, um, brought a giant-sized faith to Zacharias and Elizabeth. And actually, we have evidence that it did, in fact, do that. If you look at Luke 1, 67 through 80, you have Zacharias. It's a prophecy that God is speaking through him, but it's it's full of praise for God from Zacharias's lips. There was a giant-sized faith in Zacharias that was created through the difficulty 
that we see here in this passage. And I don't know if Zacharias was alive when John, his son that he waited so long for to have, was killed and murdered. But if he was, I'm sure he was able to weather that storm way more powerfully than he was struggling, you know, in, the, in how he dealt with this infertility thing. All right, so what can we do if you're not alone, if you're struggling with hope, if God hears you when you're crying out to him, and if God is working on a much larger scale than you can imagine, and one of the things he's doing is growing a giant-sized faith in you through your uh, difficult times, what can you personally do to lean into hope? Uh, let me just rattle off a few things here. Persistent prayer. This is huge. Even if you don't feel like it, Zacharias, he heard God speak. Revelation came to him when he was in the temple praying. And so we need to persist in prayer when we're struggling to be filled with hope. Because it's there that God, it is the conduit by which God has chosen to speak to us. We need to be listening in prayer too, not just speaking to God, but actually taking time to hear his still small voice. And so if you're lacking hope, have you been practicing prayer? Have you been doing it in an unhurried way or have you gotten out of the habit? Second thing we can do is we need to be honest with God. Uh, we need to be honest with God about our, our negative emotions that we're experiencing, our frustrations, our doubts, our lack of hope, our disappointment. We need to cry out to him. Uh, the book of Psalms, the book of Lamentations, they, they show us that this is part of what it means to be a Christian and a, and a follower of Jesus is that we can cry out to God. We can be honest with him. Zacharias was being honest with God in prayer. He was praying for a child. He was being honest, right? Uh, the third thing is pay attention to God's blessings. As you're going through a difficult time, you got to pay attention to God's blessings um, in the midst of your difficulty because God is always at work in the midst of it. And there's always good things that are there if you open your eyes to see them. Zacharias, for example, in the midst of his difficulty, he was allowed to go into the temple and offer the, the prayer of incense, which would have been a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity for Zacharias to go into the holy place um, and be able to be called on for that job. There's goodness in the midst of Zacharias's difficulty. God was blessing him. And so there are blessings in the midst of your difficulty. Uh, and so look for them. Uh, here's another thing. Remember God's past faithfulness in your life and in the life of others. What suffering can do is it can give us this myopic, narrow, narrow vision on that where we're just focusing on our pain and our suffering and our hurt and disappointment. And we then fail to remember everything 
that God has done in the past to demonstrate his faithfulness to us. And if we can just step back, broaden our view, remember those things, remember the past ways that God was faithful to us in in past difficult circumstances, it gives us hope in the present. And, And so I encourage you to do that. I have personally seen, heard people speak or have read stories of of God's faithfulness to people through abuse, divorce, infertility, adultery, addiction, genocide. I have read or have seen or have heard story after story of God doing amazing things through these very difficult circumstances. Some of you that are listening in the room um, are part of those people that have gone through some of this stuff. Um, Transfer your focus from your inadequacies to God's greatness and goodness. Um, When Zacharias was in the temple and the angel Gabriel spoke to him, notice how Gabriel replaced Zacharias' I statements with um, Gabriel's own I statements to shift Zacharias' perspective. Look at this, Luke 1, 18 and 19. And Zacharias said to the angel, how shall I know this? For I am an old man and my wife is well advanced in years, right? This is after Gabriel promised that Elizabeth would, would have a son. And then this is what Gabriel said to Zacharias. I am Gabriel who stands in the presence of God and was sent to speak to you and bring you glad tidings. Zacharias had his focus on his own inadequacies. I'm old, I can't produce a child, there's no way this is going to happen. I know this, I am old, I, I, I. Gabriel says, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. I was sent by him. This was Gabriel's way of telling Zacharias, yeah, your problems seem insurmountable, because you're focused on you and your inadequacies. You need to get, fix your gaze on the Almighty God because it's not impossible for Him. The last thing I will tell you is in the midst of situations where you're struggling to be hopeful and you're experiencing disappointment, fix your eyes on Jesus. Um, Zacharias had all these reasons to be full of hope, but he was still lacking what we now have living on this side of Jesus's life, death, resurrection, and exaltation. We have Jesus uh, to fix our eyes on. He is the name of hope. Hope has a name. It, It is Jesus. And because of Jesus, we have greater access to God than Zacharias did, even though Zacharias was able to go to the holy place. He wasn't allowed to go into the most holy place. But we have actually God living inside of us by way of his spirit. And we have full, complete access to God, the type of access the Jewish people in the Old Testament would could never have really have dreamed of. We have it because Jesus has risen he is living now and interceding for us by, through the Holy Spirit. He's interceding for us in prayer. Um, he is making sure that we have all that we need. Um, because 
God took the worst evil that humans have ever committed in killing the sinless son of God and used that for the salvation of the world. We even have more reason than Zacharias to trust that in our difficulty, God is working for our ultimate good and the ultimate good of his people. Um, because God gave his son to meet our greatest need of rescue and delivery from Satan, sin, and death, surely we can rest assured that he will give us, he will supply everything we need uh, for our lesser needs um, than what he did for us in Jesus. And because Jesus's resurrection was the beginning of God's renewal of all things, we know that our current sufferings, our current difficulties are not worth being compared to the glory that we're going to experience when God completes the renewal process and we are with him forever in the new world. One last quote and I'll pray. All the promises of God for the good of his people focus in Christ. He confirms them and secures them and as it were purchases them for all who belong to him, for all who believe. Every sinner who comes to God in Christ with all his needs finds God coming to him in Christ with all his promises. When a sinful person meets the holy God in Christ, what he hears is yes. Do you love me? Yes. Will you forgive me? Yes. Will you accept me? Yes. Will you help me change? Yes. Will you give me power to serve you? Yes. Will you keep me? Yes. Will you show me your glory? Yes. All the promises of God, all the blessings of God in the heavenly places are yes in Christ Jesus. Jesus is God's decisive yes to all who believe. Do you believe? Have you received Jesus as your Lord and Savior through repentance and faith? If so, I encourage you to persist in prayer, be honest, pay attention to God's blessings, remember God's past faithfulness in your life and in the life of others, transfer your focus from your inadequacies to God's greatness and goodness, and fix your eyes on Jesus. That's where we find hope to navigate these difficult times. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are our hope. Thank you that we have even more reason to have hope than Zacharias and Elizabeth. Thank you for your life and your death and your resurrection. Thank you that uh, we, can, we have access to you and to the Father and to the Holy Spirit because of you. Lord, I pray, Father, I pray that you would fill us with hope, fill us with joy, fill us with the hope and joy that Zacharias ended up with. And may you enlarge our faith so that we become even more unshakable in the face of difficulty, uh, knowing that you are with us and that you are working for our good. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.